Thank you for listening to this audio resource from Sovereign Hope Church. For those who haven't yet heard, we've finally made our move into our new home in central Missoula. We'd love to see you Sunday mornings at 2010 3rd Avenue West and hope you're blessed by this online resource. Whenever I preach on a verse, a couple of verses, someone very close to me says, you need to read way more than two verses so people have some context. And that's good counsel. So if you have your Bibles open, I'm going to read from chapter 1, verse 15, all the way through chapter 2, verse 15. And so if you would read along with me, I think this will give us some context, and I'll pray briefly and we'll, we'll jump in. Speaking of Jesus, Paul writes, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake, And in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, that is the church, of which I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known, the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that powerfully works within me. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am present in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you've received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to the human tradition, according to the elemental elemental principles of this world and not according to Christ. For in him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. In him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of flesh by circumcision of Christ. 
having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we, we ask that today in these moments that you would give us what we do not have, that you would teach us what we do not know, that, Lord, you would fill our hearts with Christ, that you would give us knowledge of a great Savior, that you would save those who are lost, and that you would change and transform those who have been found so that they might become like Christ. Lord, use our time together in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I mentioned as I began the partnership that we have in some senses churches that certainly Tyler and I have as pastors and that partnership is founded upon the gospel. Well, this entire passage is a passage about the gospel and the glory of what God has done in Jesus Christ. You know, you're celebrating a year in this building and it causes me to wonder if someone was to come into this building this year what would they be and what would they take away if they left four years from now? You're a college town, many freshmen will come here and then they'll go out four years from now and, and they'll say, in college I went to Sovereign Hope. What would they take away? You ever think of that? People do take things away from our churches. Whether we like it or not, whether we're thinking about it or not, they gain from us the things that I would say we value. Maybe it's a focus on global missions, wonderful. Maybe it's a biblical counseling ministry. Maybe it's end times speculation. Maybe it's reformed theology or a focus on the spiritual disciplines. Maybe they learn here prayer and Bible reading or maybe they just think Sovereign Hope, they're nice people. But they will come away with something. Often that's something that they come away with are the things that we almost subconsciously, consistently, publicly speak of and celebrate. That's a good question. What is it that you celebrate as a church? Because what you often celebrate, what you often highlight publicly is what people will go away with. Now, some of you right now, even as I mention that, you think, oh, what a great thing. We should get together. Our leaders should get together and we should decide what we're going to value. But the reality is you don't decide what you're going to value. Your values simply flow out of your hearts and out of your mouths as a church. What is it that you want flowing out of your hearts and then out of your mouths that people walk away with? I don't think we get to choose, friends. I think the scriptures lay out that what ought to come out of us is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That the center of your life I mean that individually and corporately, the center of your life should be Jesus Christ, the Lord. Jesus should be the center. My sermon's gonna be fairly simple. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say what should be the center of your life. I just told you, but I'll go into it a little bit more. What should be the center of your life, both individually and corporately? How should it be the center of your life? In other words, how do you do it? And then what is sort of a result of that, a characteristic that flows out of that in who we are? So Jesus should be the center of your life, what, how, and then a result. 
This is the place where in our circles, we often use the language of the gospel, being gospel-centered. I don't know if you've noticed, but gospel-centeredness has become sort of a buzzword in all of Christianity. So we can have gospel-centered churches, we can have gospel-centered gardening, we can have gospel-centered mechanics, you know, whatever. And, and we sometimes lose the punch of what that's meant to be. The gospel, for those of you who maybe aren't Christians, the gospel simply is a word that means good news. We as Christians believe there is good news for people who are fallen and live in a fallen world. And that good news is that God has sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die upon the cross, taking God's punishment for our sin. So that if we repent of our sins and trust in what Jesus did on the cross, we can be forgiven completely and welcomed into his family and have a home in heaven one day. That is the gospel. Paul wrote about this in 1 Corinthians. He said, I would remind you of the gospel I preached, which you received, and by which you're being saved if you hold fast to the word I preached, unless you believed in vain. Here it is. I delivered to you as first importance what I also received. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Now, that's what most of you know about the gospel, and I praise God for that. This is what I often refer to as a sort of zoom lens gospel. So if I was just to meet you on the street and say, are you a Christian? What do you believe? What's the, what's the message of Christ? You'd probably talk to me about his death for sinners, and that's absolutely right. But that's a zoom lens sort of a gospel. We can also think about the gospel in wider terms. You know, there's more to the good news than the cross itself. What about Jesus' incarnation? It's good news that he came and took on a human nature. It's good news that he walked through his life in sinlessness so that he could be a sacrifice, so that he could walk in all the commands of God, so that he could earn the blessings of God on our behalf. It's good news that he stood up to temptation in the wilderness, defeating Satan in all his power. It's good news that he sends his spirit into our hearts. It's good news that he was raised from the grave and it's good news that he ascended to the right hand of the throne of God where he is over all things for the sake of his church. Is that good news? This is all the gospel. It's good news that there he makes present intercession for us. It's good news that he's not only a risen king, he is a returning king and we eagerly wait for that day. Friends, the gospel of Jesus Christ is vast. And every bit of that gospel has implications for us, for our lives, the way we walk through this world. Just yesterday, some of us were, were gathering, um, pastoral residents were gathering, reading a book from uh, Charles Spurgeon, 19th century preacher. He once wrote this, training ministers of the gospel to be preachers. He said, quote, Preach Christ always and evermore. He is the whole gospel. His person, offices, work must be our one great all-comprehending theme. Friends, if that's true for preachers, that is equally true for believers in this gospel, for members of churches, for Christians seeking to live out the gospel in all of life. So this is now the panoramic view. You know, if you're thinking of your phone, you swipe over and you can, you can see the whole thing, all of what God has done in Christ Jesus. 
didn't you hear it when I read that larger section? I started in chapter one. Do you, do you remember what I read? I read about Jesus as the image of the invisible God, the creator of all things. He is presently right now sustaining all things. He's the one that brings forgiveness. He's the one who has redeemed. He's the one through whom all things were made. He's the one for whom all things were made. He is the head of the body, the church. He's the first to rise from the dead. He has in all things preeminence. Friends, this is this wide view of the gospel, what God has done through Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ should be the center. Yes, the gospel should be the center of our lives. That's the what, now the how. This is the longest portion of the sermon, the how. Paul gives us some amazing help in this text. Verse six. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. As you received Christ Jesus. We use the phrase receiving Christ uh, to talk about our conversions often. Someone received Jesus as Lord, something like that. And, And we're right to do that. But Paul likely has more in mind than simply that. He likely means something like a body of truth that he's wrapping his arms around and bringing close to him. He's now, he's now bringing down from before him this gospel that was preached and embracing it in his life. You often take the Lord's table and you know that Paul, when, when he talks about the Lord's table, says, what I received from the Lord, I also give to you, that the night the Lord Jesus was betrayed. You know, That's the same idea. There is a truth of the gospel that is received by believers and lived out in their lives. Therefore, verse six says, as you received Christ Jesus, so walk in him. In all that you've received Christ Jesus to be, here's what you're now called to. Here's what now you, as an individual believer, are called to, Christian And here's what you, as a church, Sovereign Hope, are called to. You ready for it? Walk in Christ. Walk in Christ. That's a phrase that actually comes to us all over the New Testament. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, Paul says, I urge you, brothers, that as you receive from us how you ought to walk and please the Lord... Ephesians 1 tells us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called. Ephesians 5 says that we should walk in love as Christ loved us. On and on we could go. And now here in this passage, as you've received Christ Jesus, so walk in him. Is this literal? Well, of course not. How how can I walk in Christ? Well, what's the point then? The point is that we are to live our lives in a conscious awareness of who Christ is and what God has done in him. That's how we walk. We live in a conscious reality of Christ. Say, well, why why then don't we just talk like that? Why doesn't he just say live in him, live aware of him? Well, this is is a Hebraic uh, figure of speech that I think is very effective. Because when you talk about walking, you think about where you walk. You think about your steps. You think about what you did yesterday or what you're going to do tomorrow. This image calls us to think about when we walk into the insurance office on Tuesday, 
when we walk into Philosophy 103 on Monday, when we walk onto the construction site, we're thinking about where our feet go, and when we think about where our feet go, we think I am going to take every step in a conscious awareness that Jesus Christ is Lord and he has saved me from sin. He's given me a hope and a purpose and a calling. Last year, a home group my wife and I were in, we're reading a book, and, and there was a chapter in the book. It was dealing with different sins that, that Christians can struggle with, and one of the chapters was on godlessness. And we were all very surprised, because if you were to just tell me, hey, Kyle, do you struggle with godlessness? I'd say, no, oh my gosh, godlessness. I mean, that's for godless people, you know? And we read the chapter, and the author labored to show from the scriptures how godlessness is simply walking through your life acting as if God is not there. And we all realize we have days and weeks where we're godless. Friends, this calling from the Apostle Paul is the opposite of that. Don't walk through your life. Don't walk into work. Don't walk into this church. Don't walk onto campus as if Christ is not Lord, as if he is not at the right hand of God, as if he has not freed you from sin. He has. And that changes everything. Great memory verse from the Old Testament, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Well, this is the Christian version of that. In all your walking, in all of your steps, walk in Christ, aware of that reality. Jesus Christ should be the center of your life. How? Well, we walk in him, but Paul gives us more than that. Look at this again, verse six. You've received Christ Jesus as Lord, now so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. Here's some more how. God's commanding you to do this as you've received him. And there it is in verse six, therefore, as you've received him. It's just sort of laying two concepts next to one another. As you received him, so when you did look to Christ, when you were converted to Christianity, when you did trust in him for your salvation, something happened. You, you looked at the cross, you trusted in it, you trusted in God's character, and that's what we're to do now. That's how we walk. In the same manner, we're trusting in him completely. We're trusting in him daily. We're trusting in him moment by moment. Martin Luther in the 16th century wrote a tract called The Freedom of the Christian. And in it, he says, quote, to preach Christ means to feed the soul, make it righteous, set it free, and save it, provided that soul believes the preaching. In other words, all of this that we're talking about is useless unless we appropriate it by faith. And here's the secret. You didn't just appropriate that truth once. You appropriate that truth every day. This is where you say amen. <laughs> every day, you need the gospel. Every day, you need the truth of Christ. This is awkward. I hate it when preachers do this, but look around this room at other people really quick. That person needs Christ every single day. 
That's how we walk in him. We receive him again and again and again. No, no, not because we're being saved again, but because we want the truth of Christ again. We want to be filled in our hearts and our spirits. We receive him every day. We're agreeing with what God says. We're accepting his lordship over our lives. We're accepting the truth of suffering, building our faith. We're believing him when he says that laying down our lives really means finding them every day. Every day. Do you? Do you every day? I bet you don't. I don't. And I know the days that I don't because they're filled with anxiety. They're filled with trial of soul. They're filled with frustration. They're filled with discontent. And I know the days when I do because they're filled with freedom and they're filled with joy and they're filled with pouring out for others. All of those are the the good news, the truths that God has given us, and Jesus Christ should be the center of our lives. But read this again, verse seven. Walk in him rooted and built up in him, established in the faith. Now look at your Bibles, and that word rooted is really interesting because what's going on there is Paul is assuming that you have been rooted. It's like laying a foundation. You have already been built upon this foundation. If you're truly a believer in Jesus Christ, your life was set on this foundation. You've been rooted. That happened already. But there are some things that now happen from that rooting, and those are building up in him and being established in the faith. In other words, you've got the foundation, but now there's a building going up, and you have to take care and how it is that you're building. So how is a building built? Well, we, we put wood on that concrete foundation and, and it starts to go up and, and wood is sometimes not as stable as other materials. And what we want is the most stability in the gospel. This is how we wanna walk every day. And so what Paul is saying when he talks about being built up and and us being established in the faith is that we would look at our lives and we under, would understand I'm standing on the foundation but I'm supposed to be built up but the winds of life are constantly blowing and wood isn't always that stable. So now I want you to think about like steel I-beams and what we're doing every day as we go back to the gospel, as we go back and appropriate the truths of Christ, is we're taking the steel I-beams of the gospel and we're placing them on that foundation. You know what happens when wind comes against steel I-beams? Nothing. That's why they use them. Nothing like wood. Nothing like the creaking. Nothing like the shifting. The steel I-beams of the gospel are to be put into our hearts and into our lives again and again and again. The gospel is the foundation, but what we realize from Paul is that we were also established in this same gospel. Brothers and sisters, you're going to need those I-beams. 
You may not understand it now. You may not understand why. You may not know what's coming tomorrow, but know this, you will need it because trial will come, change will come, uncertainty will come, and what you need in that day is not that you glue on more faux boards that look amazing but aren't. You need the steel eye beams of the gospel pounded into your life every single day so that you're established in Christ. By the way, just know this. When all of those storms come, when those winds blow, understand that the world around you, the enemy who seeks to harm you, has other options for you. You know that? They're not good options. They're options from the pit of hell. But they're gonna offer other options. In fact, look at verse eight. Look at how Paul goes on. We're supposed to be established in the faith, but then look what he warns. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. There's the temptation. The world has other options. The winds are blowing, trials are coming, things are going bad, sorrow is happening, discontent, and the world comes in and says, what you really need is more of, and it's never Christ. Never. You need more money, you need more power, you need more prestige, you need more freedom. Never Christ. Look at verse 9. Here's the antidote. In him, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him. See, there's, there's the unmasking of what the world is trying to do. The world is trying to tell you, be filled with something other than Jesus, with something other than the gospel, other than the truth of God. And we stand against this as we're built up and established in the gospel again and again and again. As we're established in the faith, verse 7 tells us, just as you were taught. Contrary to popular belief, this isn't actually your faith. Look at verse 7, established in the faith. It's so easy to think, oh yeah, I want to build my faith. I do that through all these different ways. It's actually established in the faith, like the Christian faith, like the truth that's been handed down from generation to generation. You need to be established in that truth. That's the truth that's going to sustain you. That's the truth that's going to propel you. Jesus prayed in John 17 for his disciples and all who would follow, sanctify them in the truth. That is, make them holy in the truth. Your word is truth. It is in the word of God that we get God's character, that we get Christ. It is from the word of God that we gain the steel I-beams for our souls. Let me take one practical turn here, and then we'll move off the how to, to a result. The practical how here, I, I told you that Jesus is to be the center of your life, and Jesus is to be the center of your life. 
You understand? As a church, Jesus Christ should be the center of your life together. Part of the reason that I say that is because of the functionality of the gospel in the life of the Apostle Paul and what he assumes in the life of the Colossian church. Paul says of his own ministry in chapter 1, verse 28, him, Jesus, we proclaim warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. In chapter 3, verse 16, He says, for the church at Colossae, let the word of Christ dwell in all of you richly, corporately, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. In other words, Paul looks at the church and he looks at members of the church and in a sense, he's looking at all of them saying, you have responsibilities for one another. You don't just come here. You don't just come on the Lord's day. Good singing. Johnny does a great job. Tyler preaches the word. It's wonderful. And then I go, I go about my life and my business. So this is your business. This is what you've been called to. You are part of a body where brothers and sisters are pouring the gospel into your life. They're pounding steel I-beams into your life so that you don't fall. And you're pounding steel I-beams into their life so they don't fall. You have a responsibility not only for your own life in the gospel, but for the life of this church in the gospel. This is something we so often miss, but God intends for his glory to be shown, for Christians to be grown up in the faith through the people of God. So Jesus Christ and the gospel that is about him is to be the center of your life and your life. How does that happen? By being rooted in him, built up and established, especially with your ministries to one another. Now, verse seven, let's look at one result before we end. We're rooted and built up in him and established in the faith just as you were, were taught. Result, abounding in thanksgiving. Abounding in thanksgiving. This, by the way, is telling you what type of a church you should be. You should be a church that is abounding in thanksgiving. That word means overflowing. The supply is more than enough. Gratitude is just spilling out all over the place in your life, in your life, in your life. To go back to that question I began with, what would you want someone to take away? You would want someone to take away an enormous amount of gratitude that that, that people are just thankful all over the place. And the reason that they're thankful at Sovereign Hope Church is because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is his will for us. 1 Thessalonians 5 says that we're to rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and give thanks in all circumstances. Why? For this is the will of God for you in Christ Jesus, which means our thanksgiving, our gratitude is not dependent on what happens to us. It's dependent on what happened to Christ for us. It's totally different. You will never, Christian, you will never, 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 Lack reason to be thankful to God. You say, Kyle, you don't know what's going on in my life. You don't know how all all these things that have come against me, you don't understand. I do. 
you'll never lack reason to be thankful to God. Because that thankfulness flows from Christ. It is lived out in Christ. This is his will for us. You could read Romans chapter one. Romans chapter one is this this catalog of, of the sins of the pagan Gentile cultures that don't know him. And you know where it starts? They did not acknowledge him as God and they were not thankful. It's the beginning of sin, unthankfulness. But we in Christ are to abound and overflow with gratitude to God. Friends, you've been one year in this building, and I pray for many, many, many more. What a gift this is, by the way. I talk to so many pastors, and so many of them are just bemoaning their, the lack of, uh, we can't find anywhere to meet. This is true in, in the city where I pastor uh, constantly, Churches are looking for spaces to meet. This is such a gift. It is a gift from God and it is to be used as a tool because hundreds and hundreds of hundreds of people will come through here over the decades and you know what they will hear from this pulpit and you know what they will hear from your life and from your counsel and from your fellowship? They will hear of Jesus Christ and they will hear of your abounding thanksgiving because of him. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much that in Jesus Christ, we always have a reason to be thankful. Lord, I pray for Sovereign Hope Church. I pray that each individual member of this body would grow in likeness to Christ, that they would grow in their love of Jesus, that they would grow in their appreciation of the gospel, that daily they would find themselves just basking in in the love of Christ for them, the surpassing love of Christ that is beyond our knowledge. God, thank you for this church and the way that they love one another. I pray that you would give them all that they need to do what this passage and others call us to, just pouring into one another's lives so that the gospel is always rich, the gospel is always on our tongues, Christ is always exalted. God, and that we are always abounding in thanksgiving. Father, for those who are here, who are guests, or who who are maybe not Christians yet, Lord, we pray that they would hear the gospel from us, that they would hear of the worth of Jesus Christ. We pray that you would humble their hearts so that they might see their need and trust in Jesus and enter into this endless supply of thanksgiving that you have given to us. God, we thank you, and we thank you for the opportunity to sing together and love one another today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.